The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast. I am your host, Roger, along with my co-host, Jason. And today we have a special guest on the podcast again. And today we are going to be talking with Dr. Lisa LaGeorge on the topic of caring for missionaries in the church. Um, And we're grateful that uh, Lisa joined us on the podcast today. Thank you for coming on with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with both of you. I've enjoyed your podcast as, uh, as you've been putting it out this last year and look forward to talking with you about this, um, this topic that's just really dear to my heart. Thanks. We really appreciate it. I've known Lisa for almost two years now as she began three years. So she uh, has been working at Children's Hunger Fund. And so she's a coworker and become a good friend at work. And we're grateful to learn from her and her experience. Uh, she served for 20 years in education and has a lot of experience. Um, but go ahead and give us an introduction. Give us a little bit, uh, give our listeners a little bit of history of who you are and uh, where the Lord has brought you at this point in your life. Sure. You know, I'm uh, not originally from this left coast. I'm yeah. <laughs> originally from upstate New York. I grew up in a town of 917 people and about 3,000 cows and uh, had the, the really distinct privilege of growing up in a home that loved the Lord mm. and loved missions and we had a unique church situation uh, that exposed me to a lot of missionaries. Uh, there was a, an administrator for our denomination who was in our church and the missionaries who would come home on furlough or would be heading out to the field for the first time would have to meet with him either as they were coming back or as they were going out. And so many of them would come and stay with my family not because we had extra bedrooms, but because we owned a grocery store and could feed everyone. <laughs> and so um, it was it was just something that we did growing up was we hosted missionaries. And then getting into high school, there was little else that I could think that I would want to, to do, but be involved in missions. And so for a lot of years, I thought that that maybe would be uh, as a blacksmith in in uh, Mongolia. I loved horses. I'd grown up with horses and um, didn't think I was, I was very book smart. So I thought, well, I can still tell people about Jesus and I can do it while I'm working with their horses. And uh, so my parents said, you got to go to Bible college. And so I went to Bible college in the very first day of college in orientation, not even the first day of classes, but in orientation, uh, met a man who was an incredible communicator, man by the name of Dr. Will Varner. And I walked away from that orientation session just saying, I want to teach the Bible like that. And, uh, and so had grown up in this Christian home, came to know the Lord very young, uh, always, um, I think, looking back, just loved the scriptures, loved Jesus, uh, knew that I was a sinner and that he had redeemed me. And uh, from, from very, very young age. And 
The other thing that I was very aware of was that uh, there was a large portion of the world who had never heard of him. And so those factors just followed me through my teenage years and into, into college and then on into, uh, into my, my first real job uh, after college was actually uh, serving as a missionary in Alaska for five years with Avant Ministries at uh, a camp called Echo Ranch Bible Camp uh, up there in Juneau. And so did follow up with kids during the, during the school year and then would move out to camp during the summer, the spring and summer season. And so um, that, was, uh, that was the early part of life. And then the Lord took me from there uh, to get a master's degree in teaching English and uh, focus on cultural studies. Again, still thinking I was going somewhere to the foreign field and then had an opportunity to serve in a university setting, mobilizing college students to care about the world, to care about the gospel, to love Jesus, and to uh, and to consider how they might be used worldwide, really, uh, for the sake of the gospel. And so, uh, spent 20 years doing that, and it's just been a delight. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, and how the Lord has shaped you and given you those experiences. I think that's the way we're interested in talking about this topic, uh, especially as we think about our church, uh, where, you know, ever since we started as a church, we've supported different missionaries, and we started taking on a new one recently uh, that's going to be going on the field, and uh, a lot of our people uh, haven't been on the field, they haven't been missionaries, but they love to support, they have a heart for missionaries who are on the field and want to support them, you know, in, in all different ways, but we realize that it's, it's more than just praying for them. We want to really come alongside them and really help understand what that looks like. How can we excel in that even more um, with those that we're supporting on the field? So when you think about, in general, the topic of caring for missionaries, what, what comes to your mind on holistically how to care for them? Um, those who you're not interacting with on a daily basis, but what, what does it look like? Yeah, you know, um, I think there's a number of levels to that question. Uh, the first level I could think of is that there's a pastoral level, mm-hmm. right? Who is, who is the care, the primary caregiver, the primary shepherd from the church who is responsible for that missionary? Maybe it's your elder team, uh, or maybe it's one of your pastors who connects on a bi-weekly, monthly basis. Um, so that's one level is going to be kind of the pastoral care aspect. And then there's another level that's really your general congregation. How does your congregation get involved? Um, and that comes in also at a, at a number of different uh, touch points before they leave the field, while they're on the field, helping them navigate returning from the field. And uh, I'd be happy to give specifics on all of these things, but I just wanted to give you an overview of some of the ways that I see, um, that I see care being given uh, to a missionary, uh, to a family, especially if you are their sending church. Um, I think if you're, if you're a minor supporter of them, the church has different responsibilities and there's different levels of support. But if you as a church are their primary sending, uh, sending 
church, then I would say there's different, there's more extensive responsibilities that would be encouraged. Um, so I would say from starting from, let's just assume that you're sending, you're sending someone as a church. Um, I would say the first thing I would do is that the, the pastor, the elders should be involved with actually identifying who should be going. I think that's the first place you start. A lot of times young people feel like I'm just going to walk up to the elder board and say, I'm going to the mission field, send me, here's where you send the money. And this is what I'm going to go do. Um, but the reality is as a, as an active, it should be someone who's an active member of your congregation. There should be people within the church who can identify this person's unique spiritual giftings, how that impacts your church uh, to pull them out of that but then also how they might be beneficial to a church that you would be sending them to or to a church plant or a team that would be planting churches or that would be serving, uh, serving churches in some fashion. So even, um, even working with a potential missionary to identify location, to identify mission agency, to identify gifting, and what that all looks like would be a really great place for a pastor uh, for, a, for an elder team to be working with individuals. Do you, do you find, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Jason. Do, do you find that uh, churches feel like that legwork should be done by missions organizations instead and that church local churches kind of abdicate their role there or? Yes, abdicate is a good word. I think um, I think maybe churches have abdicated a lot of missions responsibility mm. to agencies. Um, but I think that there's a there's a place for a very solid partnership between a church and an agency. Uh, for a smaller church, let's say you've got fewer than maybe two thousand people. Mm. Uh, for a smaller church, most churches don't have the accounting capacity, the, the visa capacity, the language training capacity to manage a family picking life up and moving to another culture. And so um, agencies can be really helpful to streamline all of that administrative aspect, but also to provide uh, teams for a missionary to join in with if there isn't a group of people all ready to go together. Uh, they can provide the, the administrative help, as I mentioned, and also accountability on the field. Um, so I do believe that there can be a really val valuable partnership between a church and an agency. I think in recent years, the um, maybe the knee-jerk reaction has been that churches should start their own agencies. Mm. And that can be beneficial if you've got the resources it can also be really, I think, a little bit difficult. Um, I was speaking recently with, um, with a young potential missionary, and they said, yeah, our church wants to send us, and they want to support us 100% from the church. Wow, that's amazing to think about. But what happens if there's a problem with that church, mm -hmm. and there's a downturn, or there's a split, um, now that one individual has lost all of their support or half of their support uh, just because of church issues back here. And so in some ways, a church working with multiple churches and an agency in partnership 
can be a really healthy connection of those, those entities as they work together to see the gospel go out, see people discipled and see churches birthed in whatever the location and ministry would be. Um, so pastoral role uh, in the engagement of someone and then also the training, uh, the training of them, identification of them. Uh, I, I think I've learned most of what I have about missions and the church from a former missions pastor that I worked with. Uh, his, name is, his name is Dave Kanaversky, and Dave and his wife, Erin, uh, really have been mentors to me for years, and I have watched them do this so very well, uh, thinking of several couples that our church sent out, uh, and also some, some singles also. Uh, and in each case, they help them to identify what agency they should, they should go with, and even what field would be a best fit for them. Because every field's different. You know, you could have a great agency, but maybe the field director isn't going to be a good fit with a missionary who goes out. And so you, uh, Dave would travel with the couple uh, to go and visit wow. locations, uh, or Aaron would go to the agency and actually meet with the agency uh, administrators, and they would have those conversations. And then they would come back and they would tell the church about it. And we, we walked with her here. This looks like it's a really good spot. This isn't, this isn't a great fit for her. So while we were weighing these, we really feel like this is a better option. And so they really walked very, very well with people getting them to the field. So that also included engagement of the congregation. So they identified what um, Dave and Aaron would identify what uh, fellowship group a missionary was already, a, a missionary being sent was already engaged with. And then that fellowship group would become their people at the church. So their people would be praying for them. They'd be communicating back to the church. They would be the ones who would write the birthday cards and they would be the ones who would be, um, who would be throwing a, an on-screen and that, you know, back in the day, it was the Skype, uh, the Skype baby shower when they would have a, a child on the field or, um, so they became, they became their people, like their, their fellowship still, and would engage regularly with the missionary. The pastors would still engage with those missionaries being sent, but then the people also would begin uh, to get involved both in the sending process as well as in um, caring for them while they were on the field. Uh, and so uh, that might look like a, a sending opportunity. So I remember one couple that we, we sent as a church, uh, we had this great service. Their parents both, both came in to be a part of that. Um, they, uh, we had various people in the church pray for them in different ways. We, we read their favorite scriptures. We sang their favorite songs. We gave them a picture of the church that was made up of photographs of all the people, you know, in the church. Uh, and then we gave them a box full of, of 12 envelopes. And in those envelopes, each one was marked for a month uh, for their first year that they were on the field. And in that envelope would be letters from members of the congregation. They'd be pictures from kids, photographs of families of the church, uh, maybe a new devotional or a, or a CD, 
but those those envelopes had been put together big manila envelopes have been put together by members of the church who just wanted the love on these missionaries that first year that they're on the field especially and so there would be a send-off uh people would go to the airport with them and actually uh celebrate their departure uh so that would be kind of the front end of things uh if you want to talk about what it looks like while someone's on the field, um, there's lots of opportunities to pray for missionaries, right? To read their prayer letters in a in a worship in a service, to maybe have their faces in the bulletin uh, once a month or once every other month or whatever that looks like. Maybe you've got announcements that circulate on the screen prior to service. Who's your missionary of the week? Are they included in the pastoral prayer that week? Are Bible studies praying for them? Um, do you know the specifics of what, of what they need to have uh, prayed for? Uh, you can track and track with them uh, with the missionary or with the pastor calling on a regular basis, whatever that, that looks like. And there can be accountability there for how they're doing spiritually, how they're doing with language study in the initial stages how they're doing with their team. Um, I think there's opportunities for the church to continue to resource those missionaries, whether it be with uh, Kindle, uh, Kindle books that get sent or um, maybe a, an Apple gift card, music gift card with your favorite uh, new album on it. Uh, I like to get an, al- uh, an Easter album every year and send it to the missionaries that I support. Um, or a Christmas album. That's a, a neat way for the for the church or for people in the church to minister um, just by the things that you're getting blessed with in our material rich uh, environment and actually showering those over on the missionaries as well. Um, I also think that visits are really important on the field for missionaries. So I've had an opportunity to go as a as a emissary of the church to to spend time with some of our missionaries uh, and you know as I as I'm there as I'm talking with their teammates what I would often hear from their teammates who were not sent from our church the teammates would say we just don't get how your church cares for these people mm-hmm. one of the men told me I've been on the field for close to 20 years I've never had a visitor wow. and this couple has had three people from your church just this year. Now you can overdo it. Um, but I think there's, there's opportunities there. Send a pastor and his wife out, uh, to, to visit once a term or an elder and his wife identify what families in the church might be really close to that missionary, especially if they've got kids the same age and send the kids with the parents to the mission field to visit those missionaries so that when they come home, those missionary children automatically have furlough buddies. You know, those are ways that you can, you can care for your people while they're on the field. And then when they have opportunity to come home, whatever that looks like, the church also needs to come around them and, uh, and really care for them. And, and again, I watched, uh, I watched our church do this well. Uh, I was part of a team that would go in and Uh, take a blank apartment that was going to be occupied by missionaries and fill the refrigerator, fill the freezer, leave gift cards so they can buy new jeans and underwear when they got here. Mm. Um, 
fill, uh, you know, put toilet paper in the, in the bathrooms and frame family pictures and put them on the walls for them so that it felt like home when they came back, even if they were only going to be here for six months. So there's an opportunity for the church to help out with housing, to help out with a car, to, to arrange for meetings with people that they need to, maybe to provide some counseling if they need it. Uh, it's pretty frequently, um, it would be very helpful for missionaries to receive some counsel when they come back and just have someone listen really well and speak the truth of God's word into their lives. Um, so also providing some protection from, for them for, um, from being overcommitted if, if that's the culture of your church. So there's a lot of ways before, during, and after a church can actually care, uh, care for their missionaries. Remembering that they're, they're actually members of your body. You know, it's not just some stranger that's far off. They're, you're partnering with them to do the work of the gospel, wherever it is that you're sending. And so how you care for your body uh, should extend to your missionaries as well. That's great. A lot of great practical ideas. I don't even think we've thought of or we can just simply implement. They're not difficult things to yeah. bring awareness um, and consistency. So it's not like we just hear about them every so often, but really hearing them, about them on a consistent basis. And, and I guess looking at the flip side of, of caring for them, or maybe not the flip side, but some of the challenges that a body would have caring. I think when, you know, as you say, you're not the main supporting church, maybe you're just supporting, you're just one of uh, many supporters of that uh, organization, that mission organization they're going through. So really your main support is financial. At that point, you, you connect with them, but they're not really being sent out of your church. So they're they're not really part of your body. So one challenge there, but what are some challenges in caring for, for people that you've come across or that you've seen? Uh, because we know it's you know hard on the field, right? There's many trials and tribulations that come their way. And I'm sure that affects uh, the relationship with the churches here. So what have you experienced in that and, and thought about how you work through those uh, challenges? That's a great question. Um, you know, some of the, some of the challenges I would say would be logistical. I mean, it's hard to figure out when to call a missionary, especially if they're, they've got a reverse schedule, you know? So, so even I think walking through with them every couple of months what, and asking what would be helpful. So one of those challenges would be not only logistical, but also just having an accurate understanding of what life looks like for them mm. and what would be beneficial from your church for them. Um, it may be that they have a church that's engaging with them on this level. I'll tell you, uh, in all of my years of visiting, and I've been in over 55 countries mm. to engage with missionaries, I've never had a missionary say to me, my church cares too much. I wish they'd just back off. <laughs> It's a, it's a lonely spot. Um, it's a spot where they question themselves. They often are asking questions of me. Um, are we wrecking our kids? Have we ruined our children by bringing them into this scenario and having them see some of the trauma that we see 
or that has been perpetrated against them or, or our family. Um, so I think there's, there's a challenge in not knowing how to care. And so learning how to ask good questions about what that would look like would be really helpful uh, for the missionary family. Um, I think another challenge would be understanding what their team dynamic is. Uh, oftentimes, missionaries who are on the field have no control over who they get to work with. And it can be a really great thing. I mean, the Lord can send just amazing people who are godly and would never think of having any conflict um, to, to a field. I've never seen it again, uh, but that can be a really strong challenge uh, for a missionary is not knowing how to handle conflict. And sometimes, sometimes that conflict actually would be at home. What's happening in the sending church? Uh, if your church is, is blowing up at home, how does the missionary begin to process that? Um, maybe there's, there's conflict with a, a favorite pastor who's now leaving the church and the missionary is wondering how to, uh, how's the church actually going to care for me? My connection was that pastor. Now they're not there. What's that look like? So I think there's, there's moments in there also that are going to be significant milestones, first Christmas, uh, you know, first birthday, first anniversary, um, or, five years, 10 years, you know, you start thinking about what are the milestones we all uh, celebrate either in our churches or in our, in our jobs, those milestones unmarked can become moments of real indecision and confusion at times or loneliness. Again, there's that word. Um, but I think it's, it's an opportunity to just celebrate and say, look, the Lord's brought you through a term or four terms or, you know, eight terms and, we are so thankful to continue to partner with you. Um, I think there's some, there's some difficulties for people too when they begin asking the questions, should we still be on the field? Uh, whether that would be at the end of someone's career because they've been there for 40 years, or that's something that would be, um, maybe they've been there for eight years or 10 years and they have a child who needs some additional schooling or has special needs and really could use uh, some advanced um, advanced education in the U.S. in a specific way that the parents need to be a part of that. And so, you know, there's there's questions that are being asked on a regular basis about longevity and should we be here? What kind of ministry should we be doing? I realized I got here and I'm really not a church planter. I'm a school principal, how do you make that decision? And so, you know, it's just, there's just all kinds of, of questions along the way. And most of them are questions that would be similar to what we encounter in our lives. Is it hard to send your kids to school the first time to a new school? It's hard for missionaries too, you know, is it hard to, to uh, decide what to do if your mom gets sick and she lives across the country? Yeah. It's hard for your missionaries too. So when those when those milestones come up or those those moments in time come up, I think it's helpful to just ask, man, what what would that be like for me if I was in that scenario? What kind of support would be beneficial? And then to begin asking very specific questions about how you could maybe provide similar support for your missionaries as well. 
It's good. Sometimes missionaries have to, to ask the question, should we leave our mission agency? Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had that conversation with, with missionaries. We got here and it all looked good on paper. It looked good at orientation, but we get to the field and it really isn't what the brochure showed, showed up. And we don't even think it's actually biblical or they're telling us to do things that we are against our conscience as people who follow the Lord. So how do we, how do we exit graciously? What's that look like? How can the pastor at that point from the church actually step in and help navigate some of those really sticky issues? So Lisa, if you were to speak to a congregation that is newer, you know, a young congregation, they're, they're trying to really find a vision for missions and uh, how to get the congregation as well as the elders, just the whole church involved. Um, what are some key things just to help us get started? What would you think are like the key, keep these few things in mind as you're setting the vision? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting factor that missions in the local church will never be supported without the full-throated support of the senior pastor and the elders. If the senior pastor and the elders are not regularly speaking about missions, praying for missionaries, praying that the Lord raises up missionaries from the congregation, mm-hmm. the, the church will never follow uh, in that scenario. So I think that's the first thing is where's your leadership? Um, and sometimes it's a lack of understanding. I was, I was in a meeting recently, uh, or while it was a while back, but I, I had some students who were speaking about ministering in Nepal and they talked about going, uh, going into a village and the villagers asking them the question, what God do you serve? It's a common question when you go other places. We just don't talk about it so much here. <laughs> and, uh, and so they were able to share uh, over several hours and through translators, the entire story of the scriptures from creation um, to, to really the new garden uh, that we'll be in and the presence of God with us in, in heaven. And, uh, you know, so they're sharing this story in this meeting. And a church lady leaned over to me and she said to me, they're not saying that these people have never heard of Jesus before, are they? Because that can't be possible. Not today. (laughs) You know, so just the understanding that more than 3 billion people, billion with a B, have never heard the name of Jesus once or met a Christian is, I mean, that's not common knowledge to most Mm. so i think for even for your church to understand the state of the world now i understand there are people in the united states who have never heard the gospel i get that but access to the scriptures is as close as the local hotel or the barnes and noble or the turning on of any radio station in your car um or xm or whatever they call it now um But if you go to a place like Nepal, the only way they're going to hear, according to Romans, right, is if someone goes and tells them. And so that's the role of God's people. 
when I was about 16 years old, I went on a missions trip to Papua New Guinea. And it really was a trip for young people to be able to do some backbreaking work for the missionaries and to get a, a realistic picture of what frontier pioneering Bible translating church planting looked like. And so it was Papua New Guinea. It was a tribe straight out of the National Geographic. We'd hiked six hours into the jungle to get into this tribe. I lived with these people for almost eight weeks. And I was in one of the, one of the villagers' homes at one point. We used to call her Village Mama. She's the oldest lady in village, just wore a grass skirt around and, um, and nothing else. She was old. She was probably like 40. <laughs> uh, which in that tribe was ancient uh, because life was hard. And she had invited us into her home to watch her cook dinner. And she was cooking, um, I think it was some sort of wild boar in banana leaves in a fire in the pit of her floor, just dirt floor. She dug down, she had this, this floor. So it was all smoky in the, in the house, it was dark. There was no source of light anywhere but the glowing embers of the fire and a little bit of light from the door. And I thought to myself, I'm gonna to try to take a picture of this. Now this is like 1988. And uh, so I wasn't, I didn't have a great camera with LIDAR. Uh, I just had a little point and shoot. And so I point and shot. And when I got home and developed my slides, I had a photograph of a woman in her grass skirt, kneeling on her dirt floor. And behind her on the shelf was a case of Coca-Cola unopened. And that picture broke my heart because it became apparent to me at that point that Coca-Cola had been more effective in communicating about sugar water than we as Christians had been in communicating about the living water. Mm. And so here you have knowledge, right? Which as a 16 year old, I did not previously had. I knew there were people who were lost. I didn't know how lost and I didn't know how irresponsible we as the Western church had been with our resources uh, until that moment when I'm sitting there looking at that slide and village mama with her pork and her case of Coke, um, Coca-Cola. And so I think it helps for the church to have knowledge about the world. Uh, one of the best ways to do this is to get every member of your congregation a copy of the book, Operation World. Mm -hmm. I'm really hoping that they're going to reproduce this. Uh, it's, a, it's a guide to praying for the world broken up into daily uh, segments, all the countries of the world and Certain, uh, certain countries are broken into multiple days. China takes about 30 days to pray through because of all this, of the uh, ethno-linguistic groups in China, for example. Um, and so it goes through day by day, uh, a different country or a different people group of the world. And uh, I require it for all the classes that I've ever taught in the, at the university. And it's a joy to have my students now praying with their families and their young children about the world. And so I think that's, that's something else, just keeping the needs of the world and the realities of religious life 
both around the nation and around the world in front of your people. I also think it's helpful not to make that dichotomy between, well, you know, we're going to send people only internationally or, well, we've got to really care about people in our backyard. It's not an either or scenario. It's a both and. So it's not saying we don't care about our backyard, but it's also not saying, well, you know, somebody else will get to, to those last 300 tribes in Papua New Guinea that have not met a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to, I think we've got to care. We've got to care about the world because that's what the Lord has done. Um, so I think those are, those are a few things that can help having your missionaries actually spend more than just one service with you mm-hmm. can be helpful. If you can bring them back when they're on furlough and they spend three months with you and they're in people's homes and they're talking about ministry and they're calling up and maybe they're, they're sending the Sunday message uh, recorded from their, from, you know, whatever location that they're in, or um, there's just a multitude of ways that you can engage people uh, who are on the field with your church and actually get your church involved in understanding missions. So, so I think there's, there's knowledge about the world, there's knowledge your, your leaders need. And then I think there's also theological training that your people need. God cares about people knowing him. It's from page one in Genesis to the end of Revelation. And so if you can help your people begin to see the mission of God throughout the entire scriptures, it didn't start in Matthew 28. It started in Genesis 1-1 when God said, that is good when he made the earth, um, because the character of God is what really uh, is the is the power behind the reason that we can stand up and say, look at this God, he's good, look what he's done. Yeah. Amen. Well, now you got your work cut out for you that you asked a question, Jason. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 for, it's for all the other churches. That's what I was, it's for, it's for other churches. <laughs> No, this is it is very so so important and, and illuminating, uh, Lisa. As you you kind of uh, opened up all these angles that we you know we hadn't thought about. You mm-hmm. know, uh, so part part of what I was I don't think I've ever taken notes on someone we've interviewed before. So <laughs> so, so I'm taking notes quickly. I'm like, that's good. Oh yeah, that's good too. And, so uh, it's really really helpful. And and actually, it, it made me think that. You know, it would be terrific to bring someone like you into the church as churches are growing their vision and thinking about what it should look like. Educate the church, even by bringing someone uh, not necessarily on the the, the pastor or the elders, uh, but someone else who's a professional in these areas to help us think through who studied this, who's been on the field, who's dealt with it. It's this is so important. We really appreciate this. Yeah, you know, I, I absolutely love the conversations that I get to have with churches. Um, I get some calls every once in a while from churches asking me to consult with them. And so, you know, I'll, I'll sit down and go, okay, who are your missionaries? What does your sending policy look like? Um, what, uh, what challenges do you have in helping to generate support? And so, you know, I sit down and go through all of these questions with them and then help them build a strategy for for beginning, either beginning to think about missions and, and sending people, 
um, or in reframing what they might uh, what they might actually pick up as a congregation and maybe shift around some things and move forward. Um, and there's, there's a lot of trends in missions and there's a lot of, a lot of voices that, that have very strong opinions about what missions should look like. And so I think churches have to really understand who they're working with, why they're working. They have to have a healthy understanding of who they are as a church to start with, and then what is it that God is calling people to do? How has God gifted people to help either plant a church or uh, train a missionary kid or translate the scriptures or whatever it is that the Lord would have, be a medical doctor in a field? Um, you know, as many vocations as you have in your congregation, the Lord can take those vocations and make them the calling internationally so that his church is built uh, through those vocations and through relationships that people have intentionally uh, toward the mission of God in another place. And so, you know, I think churches have to be really, they have to be thoughtful as they go and not just roll with the crowd. So one, one example of a challenge, uh, I think, in trends today is uh, some churches have said, well, we're just, we're going to limit who we send, who we support on the mission field. And so they've, they've limited the scope so that it's so narrow that only about um, maybe one person out of a thousand could actually fit that mm. mold. Um, and so, you know, your church, how large is your church, Jason, do you have a thousand people? No. <laughs> yeah, you might not have a person that fits that. Well, if that doesn't fit, right, then how do you help your church recognize what it is that God would be calling your people to do to care for missions? Let me give you an example. Uh, I have a couple of my former students. They are um, they're Bible translators in Cameroon. They write the best, the best missionary blog that I have ever read. The best letters the best blog. It's, it's amazing. Hair translation journey or hair translation journey. Yeah. Dot com and hair is H A R E. And uh, so Dave and Stacy have four kids. The, the children are, we're all adopted about the same time um, from another country in Africa that then they're serving in, but they're out in a village scenario. I mean, like, when their dog died, the neighbors ate their dog. Okay. Oh, so wow. village type scenario. Dave and Stacy have four kids. They're also trying to write down a language to develop literacy among the people. They're functioning in both their tribal language and French mm. and English. And they've got these four kids. Did I mention there are four? Four. <laughs> They're all in seventh grade next year. Where do they get their education from? Right. A really beautiful thing is when a church who loves Dave and Stacy says, you know what, we're going to pay the salary of any one of our teachers who wants to take a year off and go be your kid's teacher. Wow. Right. Wouldn't that be cool? That's missions too, right? Because if, if Stacy has to stop, she's a really gifted linguist. If she has to stop and work through grammar issues with her kids for three hours a day 
and how to do algebra, the Kwakum Bible is not going to get translated in a hundred years. Right. So, but if Stacy can sit next to a teacher, Stacy's working on uh, their, their rhetorical issues in Kwakum and their teachers working on the algebra, then there's going to be a Bible a lot quicker in this tribal language. And so every year, you know, they're, they're writing to me going, Hey, do you know of anybody who wants to come live in a village and eat bush meat? Um, <laughs> maybe our dog uh, and, and be our, be our school teacher, you know, churches that get a vision for that and for being a part of that are only ever going to be blessed. Wow. Great. It's yeah, been yeah, a delight to hear your heart and share all these different angles uh, with us, thinking through uh, a variety of ways that we can even implement, implement now, uh, but think through for the future. I think this will be really helpful for those in our church who are uh, serving and trying to support our missionaries and doing a, a great job at it. Uh, but as we know, we can always learn and do more and, and think uh, deep, more deeply upon how we're serving those who are serving uh, others in, on the field. So uh, it's, it's been a great conversation. I hope that uh, others will be uh, ben will benefit from this conversation. Uh, but Lisa, uh, go ahead and share with us, you know, if somebody wants to contact you, get to know you a little bit more, uh, go ahead and share with us how our listeners might reach out to you. Sure. You know, I do some writing on the blog. It's pretty simple. It's just lisalageorge.com. And uh, there is a contact page on there that can get a hold of me by, by my Gmail account, which is also just lisalageorge. And uh, so there are Lots of topics up on the blog. Uh, I write on issues that impact the church. Uh, this week's post was on praying for weary pastors. Hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's really whatever people, whatever questions people are asking me about, whether in my work or in my travels or speaking in, in various churches, that's what I typically end up writing about. So there's something on there for everyone. Uh, a few weeks ago, I, I published a, a blog on how to smoke pork and uh, got a good recipe for gluten-free pizza crust up there also. Uh, but you can also read a series of articles on that I wrote, a, a letter that I wrote to a young friend of mine who's 10 years old. She'd written to me and said, uh, dear Dr. Lisa, how can I be a missionary? Mm. And, uh, and so I got to write a series of letters to her and I asked for her permission to publish that letter. Uh, those letters. And so the Dear Ava letters would even help some of the young people in your congregation if they're interested in knowing how to start thinking about being a missionary uh, today and how God could use them even today at school um, or uh, in, in their local church. There's some ways that they can get involved. So there's a number of resources that are up there at leastillageorge.com. That's great. Anything else you want to share you have the last word or anything else come to your mind that you want to share with us on this topic oh man you know um there's a uh, there's a passage of scripture that i used to have my students memorize uh before i would let them go on a missions trip and uh it was psalm 67 and the last two verses of psalm 67 just really 
uh, grabbed me when I was in college and I was starting to think about uh, what it was going to be like for me coming from, uh, you know, from America, from a middle-class uh, entrepreneurial family uh, to, to work in missions. Um, and I began thinking of all of the benefits that the Lord had brought to me. And I think we could sit here and, and toss back mm-hmm. into the fact that, you know, we're, we even have electricity and Wi-Fi to have this conversation and, you know, Roger and I are comparing microphones uh, that we have this conversation on. We have been richly blessed. And Psalm 67, 6 and 7 ends uh, by reminding us that God, our God, has blessed us that the ends of the earth may fear him. And so if that's what I get to spend my life on is helping people know him and then helping them make him known then I am a, I am a blessed woman. So thanks for the, thanks for the opportunity to share. I really appreciate it. We, we appreciate having you on. It's been a delight and uh, we hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you will join us next time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the hosts with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.